1: Welcome to episode 102 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week I sit down with Christopher Yuan. We discuss his journey from being an agnostic gay man in prison to a follower of Jesus, who now teaches the Bible at Moody Bible Institute and travels around the world with his parents speaking on faith and sexuality. We discuss what led his mother to surrender her heart to Jesus while on the way to take her own life. We discuss his journey from dental school expulsion to drug supplier to prisoner to HIV positive to follower of Jesus and Bible teacher. We discuss singleness and God's desire for holiness above all sexual labels we may put on ourselves and others. After listening to this conversation, I know your jaw will be on the floor in awe of the grace of God in not only Christopher's life, but also in the lives of his mother and father. As you are listening, if someone pops in your mind, will you pause and send them the link to this episode? I sincerely believe this conversation can encourage and challenge any heart. Thank you for listening and sharing. Now, let's drop in to my conversation with Christopher Yuan. Good afternoon, Christopher. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Amber.
1: I have briefly introduced you in the opening, but will you take a moment and tell our listeners to just what you do on a day-to-day basis?
0: Yeah, <laughs> Well, you know, I speak uh, and write on the topic of the gospel and sexuality, and I have the incredible honor to do it with my parents. So in a sense, my parents and I, we have a two-generational ministry, and we talk about just our own experience. And on the side, I I teach at Moody Bible Institute. So, uh, you know, most of what I do is speak and write, And then what I do on the side is uh, I also teach the Bible and teach theology.
1: So awesome! Now, how long have you been at Moody? I've been at
0: Moody almost twelve years now. Yeah, okay. So it's been incredible blessing.
1: Yes. Well, in Chicago area, where were you at before? Chicago? Always in that area? Or... I was
0: born and raised in Chicago. Yeah. Nice. Then, mm-hmm, yeah. So I'm a Chicagoan.
1: That is actually really rare, particularly when you end up teaching, you know, it feels like it uh, a lot of times I hear, you know, you end up in a whole different location. So that's right. neat. Yes. Well, take us back and tell us what life was like for you growing up. Did you grow up in faith? What was your family mm. like? And so just give us a little bit of that background.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, because a lot of times you'll hear testimonies and it's, you know, I grew up a Christian. Well, that was not my testimony. I, my parents, we didn't own a Bible. We, did, we didn't go to church, but my parents raised me with very traditional Chinese values my mom and dad, they were born in China, raised in Taiwan, then came to the United States for graduate school. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm born here, but I, I look very Chinese. Uh, you know, both my parents are Chinese. And so I wrestled with fitting in. Yeah, I, I'm born in 1970. So I, you know, I, I date myself a little bit. But back in the 70s, there weren't many, there wasn't a lot of diversity in, the, let's say, the suburbs. In the big cities, yes, but not in the suburbs. And so I, I just wrestled with my identity. And then on top of that, to compound that, I wrestled with experiencing tr- attractions toward the same sex. And I didn't know what to do with it. Because I, I first realized I had these attractions when I came across pornography. Mm. And I was nine years old, wow. and i not know. A lot of times, people are just shocked and horrified. But the statistics say that yep. that's quite normal today, especially with internet. Yep. So I was exposed to pornography. That was the first time I realized I had these attractions, but I kept those hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps reserves. And then, um, you know, it was in my early twenties that you know I kind of finally came out of the closet.
1: Well, and you guys write about that. You and your mom write about that in your first book, which is Out of a Far Country. And so when you came out to your parents, what was that experience like originally?
0: Well, remember, Amber, my my mom wasn't a Christian. My dad wasn't a Christian. So we have to kind of keep that in context because uh, their only framework for thinking through this was just they're passing, you know, being raised as, be, you know, coming from China. This is not something. And even if they went from China, in, in the United States in the right. 1970s, no one talked about homosexuality. It was, uh, you know, abhorrent. It was, you don't think that this would happen to your family. Exactly. So I, I came out and I was, I was going to dental school. I was living in Louisville. I came home and I told my parents, I am gay. So this time, this was 1993, and it devastated my mom and dad. And to make things worse, my mom and dad, their marriage was a wreck. They actually Mm. even had begun the paperwork for divorce. So this, and and kind of like I was, and my mom will even admit to this, I was almost like the the last glimmer of hope for her that she could hold on to because my mom and my dad, marriage was gone. My older brother, he was doing his own thing and kind of, he he was, he was actually always the more rebellious one. And, and so my mom was like, okay, that's, you know, that, but, but Christopher, you know, he's, and, and as an Asian mom, I I don't know if you've heard this before, Amber, but Asian moms, especially Chinese moms are called tiger moms. Have you heard that before? I have not. Yeah. A tiger mom is, she's tenacious. She's for, she will fight. It's like a mama bear. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, but it's it's Asian in the sense, so you take the bear and turn it into a tiger, in that uh, tiger moms are very protective, but also they will do anything for their child, but also are very... Uh, they, they fix the situation, and uh, they're a little you know, they aggressive. Be, yes, they want their child to be straight days, you know, a doctor, lawyer, all of that, uh, p- and play piano, and involve, you know, so that's that's a typical tiger. Mom. <laughs> I don't it's know if I'm listening, all, no, you know, all the moms <laughs> that are listening now.
1: <laughs> no, it's just funny to me, because I have a couple of friends that as soon as you say that, I'm like, yep, yes, I, and okay. they're
0: Asian-Americans, so. <laughs> Very So that's, now you know, that's what we call Asian mamas. We call them tiger moms. It's it's actually a a fairly well-known nickname, or I don't know, maybe it's derogatory in some cases. But so my mom was a tiger mom, not so much in, in making me that I have to, you know, it was a school, but she would fix the situation and, and, you know, and, and make it right. And, and in mm. this situation, it was bad for me to be gay and I had to, you know, fix that. And so she then gave me an ultimatum and he said, you, you need to either choose the family or choose this. And being Chinese family is everything, everything. everything. Mm-hmm. And so she was thinking things through her eyes and through her lens of being Chinese. Well, me, I'm not Chinese, you know, I'm American. And, you know, especially going through that, that teenage, you know, 20s, oh, yes. I'm, I'm not Chinese, I'm American. So I'm thinking, I'm, this is family is nothing to me, it's dispensable. So I thought, well, if you can't accept me, I've got no other choice but to leave. So I left home, devastated my mom, and she was going to do, do the unthinkable, and she was going to end her life. And it wasn't just because of me coming out. It was just everything else. You know, just her whole life, which meant her family, mm-hmm. was just falling apart. And so this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. Before my mom wanted to end her life, she wanted to go see this minister who gave, who gave her this little pamphlet on homosexuality. So my mom decided that she was going to end her life, but she wanted to go to Louisville to say goodbye to me. So she bought a one-way Amtrak ticket, not, not round trip, but a one-way. E- even the person at the ticket counter Gosh. said, it's $5 more to get round trip. And she said, nope, I'm not coming back. So she boarded on the train wow. with nothing. She didn't have uh, a luggage. She didn't have her toiletries. She boarded on the train with only her purse, that pamphlet, and on the train, she began reading that little pamphlet which shared with her the gospel that shared with her that she's a sinner. She never realized that, that she was a sinner, not like the worst person you could be or not that she's a murderer or not that she's a, you know, a a thief, but that she's not perfect. And being a mom who's, who's a perfectionist, it was actually a big relief for her to realize that. And so on this train, uh, she gave her life to Christ.
1: Just from reading a pamphlet,
0: Amazing, and you know it's so funny because we think, you know, what what good is a pamphlet or, or yeah. these tracks? God uses these, you know, to, it's it and and God opened up my mom, my, you know, my mom's eyes, and and wow. he was on the train. She was like, "I'm a sinner," and, and and what she realized, I mean, why why that's significant is because she realized that even though that she is a sinner. God still loves her. Yeah, yeah. And and even though i and, and and because God still loves her, she realized that she could still love me. Wow. Gay son. Yeah. Even though, you know, I, we were not in agreement, she could still love me.
1: Did you know she was coming to see you?
0: I had no idea.
1: And so did she show up and <laughs> like... I mean, I know part of the story that, you know, yes. you do rebel and reject and we'll get there. But in this case, she shows up and is that so when she starts saying to you, like, this is what happened to me. I love you no matter what.
0: She, so it was a total surprise because I I thought, that's great. I get the apron strings cut. I get to be out of here. Oh. You know, I was back in Louisville. And so I was already in Louisville and it was probably the second or third day after I had come back. At that time, I was already starting to see patients because I went to Louisville as a junior. Um, part okay. of the story is I was in Louisville. I did my first two years. The dental school closed, so I transferred to to Louisville, and I was a junior, which means I was already doing clinicals. Okay. So I was I'm a Kentucky patients. girl,
1: so I know all okay. about Louisville. Oh, oh, well,
0: I was gonna say <laughs> I, I get to hear that. The, the so twang. <laughs> yeah, I I I think I said it right. Louisville.
1: That's right. You did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so in Louisville, I, you know, I was already seeing patients. And so I was, I think it was around lunchtime, and I was waiting for my next patient. And what they do is they call you to the front to the, yeah. you know, the, the waiting area, they called me there. And they say, you know, Christopher Yuan, please come to the reception area. So that means, oh, a patient. Well, I went there and, and so I went to the receptionist and I said, what's, you know, where's my patient? She said, well, some person came, some lady came and she said that she's going to wait for you outside. And I'm like, what patient would do that? You wait, would wait in the waiting room and I would call you in. So I went outside and there was my mom. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And I don't really remember much, but she says, I just want to let you know I love you. And I'm like, what? That, you came all this way just mm-hmm. to say I love you? You know, I mean, my heart was so hard then because yeah. I, I was thinking I'm free. And then now with my mom being present there, I thought, I'm not free now. <laughs> you're you're yeah. you know, coming back to, but she said, I love you um and um she, she didn't really say much more and she didn't even say that I became a she became a christian because she didn't even know what that meant
1: right right
0: Um, so it was yeah, that that was how that happened. But so after that, she on the back of the pamphlet was like a hotline or something. And she called the hotline and they said, Where are you now? She's like, you know, where where are you from? Where do you live? She's like, I'm from Chicago, but I'm not in Chicago now. (laughs) She (laughs) said, I'm in Louisville. And and so she and the 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 call hotline person looked up like this list of numbers and she said, You can call this person in in Louisville. Wow. My mom did. I know, it's so cool. My mom did, and this lady happened to be uh, the wife of a retired pastor. And so this lady discipled my mother for six weeks. Like so my she, mom stayed like, in not, she stayed in Louisville. She stayed in Louisville. And part of it was also because my mom and dad had a big blow up the, yeah. that, the day of. So she's like, I'm not going back. You know, yeah. she's like, I've already been hurt. And then now my dad is, you know, or her, you know, my, my mom was thinking, my husband is now hurting me more. Why, why will I want to go home? Yeah. So she stayed there. She got like an extended stay type of apartment thing that was already furnished. Uh, she, she didn't leave with her purse and you know, the credit card, right? Don't leave home without it.
1: Right, right. So
0: she got a little extended stay uh, apartment and stay there. And she, just absorbed the bible the christian books that she she was given um it it was really phenomenal yeah and and this lady would meet with her three or four times a week in her home it was just a total godsend it was really well and
1: that's the thing i mean i would like to say oh it all gets wrapped into a pretty package right now (laughs) but i mean the good news is it does you know things do change for you. But at the moment, you know, you still reject and you go kind of the opposite direction.
0: It got worse. Yes. And
1: so tell us a little bit about some of the destructive decisions you started making while in dental school and then kind of how that led you into eventually becoming a Bible professor.
0: Yes. Well, it's not the normal road for a Bible <laughs> professor. <laughs> it was God's road and yeah. God's path, I should say, the narrow path. And I was in dental school. And, and you know, to be honest, Amber, my, I was not a Christian. And even though in high school I was a good kid, I, I never really partied. I never really drank. I didn't do any drugs. So I was a good kid. And then in dental school, um, and, and through my time in college, even though it was short, because I, I only went two years in college before I got accepted to dental school, so I never got my bachelor's. So I went and I started, I was in graduate school, and what I found out was these, these kids weren't just partiers, they were professional partiers. And it was it's kind of sad to to actually admit this or even to realize this, but graduate schools, you think these are people who are really <laughs> smart and stuff, and they are but they're also still kids. Yep. So our free time, though we were studying and becoming doctors, dentists, etc., the weekends were intense partying. That's why people graduate from these professional schools as, as alcoholics, because they became alcoholics <laughs> in school. It's really sad. But anyway, so it wasn't just, I'm not talking about even at this point, my gay friends, I'm just talking about my secular classmates. Yep. They partied. We would go out to the bars and clubs on the weekends, get totally drunk. And then Monday would come around and you'd just be back to, you know, I'm a dental student and I'm going to see patients and stuff. So, well, I also, because I was, I I came out and um, I then started going out to the gay clubs. So I was going, I was, I was spending all my free time there. Well, eventually I also started experimenting with drugs. You know, if you're going to, Hang out with the, you know, at the clubs. You're gonna do what everyone else does at the clubs: drink mm-hmm. and do drugs. And we have our ways of justifying it. You know, it's, oh, it's, for so, sure. it's 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 real. That sin is real, and sin will find you, and then you will justify. It. Well, I'm not as bad as that. I'm not shooting anything in my arm, or I'm not doing it every day. I'm just doing it once a week or twice a week. You know, and then twice once a week or twice a week, twice a week or whatever. So I began doing drugs, but as you know, maybe your listeners don't know, drugs cost a lot of money, especially when you're a poor dental student. And as my good friend Rosario calls college students, they are homeless, uh, middle class homeless people.
1: (laughs) She cracks (laughs) me up with her. She's like, oh, invite them in and have them just Fold the laundry on your table if they want to eat. You know, it's fantastic.
0: (laughs) And so I was broke. And if I wanted to party and have fun, I needed to, you know, support my my habit of drugs. And I did that by selling drugs. Mm. And I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor of the dental school. Well, I eventually this whole time, I thought I could, you know, live this double life. Eventually, I was expelled from dental school just three months before receiving my doctorate. My, uh, my mom and dad came and I thought they were going to fight to keep me in school. And I'm, and I'm thinking, finally, they're going to fight to keep me in school. And they are just going to maybe threaten a lawsuit. And I was staying in school for three months. Remember my dad's a dentist and he actually knew the dean of the school very well. They were classmates. So of course I'm like, perfect. I've got it. He's going to bail me out. He's totally going to bail me out. They got there. My mom, we were in the office, all four of us. And my mom told the dean, it's not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. <laughs> I'm like, what? And she says, what's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. Wow. Now, mind you, this dean is not a Christian. And mind you, this dean was prepared to fight. He was actually ready to defend why the school was right to expel me. Wow. And to hopefully, uh, you know, because he was expecting – a lawsuit. He was, because that's actually what had happened a couple of years ago with another student. I'm like, just, that's all we have to do. And, and, and this other student kind of ended up, you know,
1: back in the program. Whatever.
0: Yeah. Back in the program. So I'm like, perfect. That's all I need. And my mom said that. And I was furious. I was so angry. And because my mom being a tiger mom, or at least I thought she was, that's right. what she would do. But she realized that Nothing is more important than her children following Jesus, even more imp- important than education, even more important than career. Mm. But I see oftentimes as parents, mm-hmm. they will put more emphasis upon education and more emphasis upon career. Those are all good things. But if that's what we focus on and our children walk away from Christ, then they're lost. Then that's in the right. end, we lose the battle.
1: Well, and so, I have to ask, though, at this point, had your dad come to faith in Jesus.
0: Yes, and I forgot to mention that. he. No, I mean, it's
1: just good to know that because I know dads who are also Mm. dentists are not sitting there going, I agree with mom, you know, (laughs) unless they have come to some type of agreement. So at this point, he's walking with Jesus as well. Yes.
0: Yes. It was just a few months after that, that he came to know the Lord. Thanks for catching that. Yeah. So he, they were, they were on one accord Wow. and I was furious. I was so angry. You know, I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not part of the plan. So I obviously, you know, was expelled. My mom was like, we're going to support whatever decision the school makes. Wow. And, um, so I moved not back up north to Chicago, but I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And there it was where I quickly took over the drug scene, became a supplier and my parents prayed for me. They came to visit me one time and, and I told them to get out after the second day. They weren't preaching at me, Amber. This is the funny thing. They were not telling me I was living in sin. It was just the fact that they had been so radically transformed by the the gospel Mm. that that was offensive to me. And I told them to leave. Before my dad left, he wanted to give me his very first Bible, and I threw it in the trash can. That's how much I despised it. They, they, it, it after that visit, they knew that it was going to take nothing short of a miracle. My mom wow. began praying a really bold prayer God, do whatever it takes. Yeah. Whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. She fasted every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days. Wow. I And so she prayed for a miracle and that miracle came with a bang on my door and on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police and two big German shepherd dogs. So I found myself in jail and that was the last place that I ever thought that, that I would be. And, um, I you know, I've, I was walking around the cell block and I passed by this garbage can and I was like, this is my life. I've just trashed my life. I was about to walk by it and something on top of the trash caught my eye and I bent over, picked it up. It was a Gideon's New Testament.
1: In the trash.
0: In the trash. Well, actually not even in the trash because I wouldn't have picked it up. It was in the trash. It was right on top of someone had just placed it. There was nothing, no other trash or nothing, you know, and it wasn't even soiled. It was like on maybe a newspaper or something. Because if it was in there, it, it, no way, but it was someone wow. literally had just put it right on top and I took it, brought it back to my cell. And that night I read through the entire gospel of Mark. Wow. But, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh, here's the answer. I just thought I've got tons of time on my hands. And, and I my had dad a asked me somehow. to read this.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to just check it out. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly.
1: Well, and so you you read Mark's gospel. And I mean, you're, you're, how, how long are you in jail? How long does it take for you Yes. to really experience some transformation? Because it really changed the way that you even view sexuality and all of that happened
0: Yes. while you really
1: were did. in jail. So tell yeah. us about that.
0: You, you know, the funny thing is people often ask, when did you become a Christian exactly in prison? Or what, what was it, a ministry or was it a person? And yes, many different people and many di- different ministries were a part of me coming to faith. But the one thing that was definitive over my entire journey of faith in prison was the Word of God. Yeah that is the true foundation for how we believe. I mean, we don't really need some fancy program or some really catchy, you know, evangelistic, you know, uh, phrase or whatever. It's what you need is Lord God's God. word. Mm-hmm. Period. It's the word of God that brings people to faith. It is the word of God that that God uses to remove the blinders from our eyes to convict us of our sin yeah. and to see that Lord Jesus Christ is our only Lord and Savior. So it was me in prison with the word of God.
1: Mm.
0: So I began reading it and um, I'm finding out I'm a sinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And whereas my mom was like, oh, this is good news. I'm a sinner, you know, because she's a perfectionist. And, and she, she, she was, it was actually really freeing for her. Yes. I know that sounds really weird. No, but that was, was- me. Really? Yes. That's so interesting. Yeah, it was freeing for her. She's like, I'm a sinner. But for me, in prison, facing time, I'm like, I'm a sinner. <laughs> like that, that's not. I mean, I'm already. It felt more like it, a beatdown. It was more of a beatdown. I'm like, I'm already, uh, you know, being tried for being guilty of selling drugs, and and I'm obviously I treated my parents horribly. Like that was when I was like first realizing. I'm like, okay, I think, I you know, and the reason is because. All my friends deserted me. Mm-hmm. Like all these people that said, oh, you know, I'm going to be there for you. Well, and that was because I had drugs to sell them. You know, um, whenever you need something, you know, just give me a call. And so, and it was only my parents. They were the only people. Even though I pushed them away, I did everything that I could to yeah. not only keep them at arm's length, I did everything I could to cut them off completely. I didn't need that. I had my own family, and that was my gay community. Oh, wow. So I, you know, and so, I, not, and then I found out as I was reading the Bible, I'm a sinner. And, and I remember so clearly, I, I was reading Psalm 51,
1: mm.
0: David's confession to the Lord, you know, against you alone have I sinned. And I, and I read that the day before I was sentenced. I mean, it was just so wow. apropos that I happened, right? Happened yes. to, to fall upon reading Psalm 51 the day before my sentence. And, and it was just like, those words were my words.
1: Mm.
0: You know, I'm a sinner and um, I was broken and, and, and it wasn't like really, a, I, I didn't feel, feel like this is good news. I'm like, people are calling this good news. How, where where <laughs> does this become good? Because <laughs> it's not really good news for me. Well, things actually got worse. Really? So I, ca- I was called to the nurse's office and um, I sat in her office and I knew something wasn't right. She couldn't even like see me, look, look at me in the eyes. So she ended up writing something on a piece of paper. She couldn't even say it, wrote it on a piece of paper, slowly slid it across the desk to me. Mm -hmm. And I saw on the piece of paper, she had scribbled HIV Mm -hmm. positive.
1: And people need to know this is in the early days, really of figuring out what HIV was, correct?
0: Yes, it was in in the 90s. I mean, mm-hmm. so it was I mean, obviously the 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 80s was was it was, that was a death sentence and the early 90s it was beginning to pick up, but it was uncertain. I mean, they mm-hmm. some of the patients were starting to come out, but it was very much people were dying almost because mm-hmm. of the toxicity of the medications and yep. I mean, along with uh, you know, the the AIDS and and how that just destroyed your, your but they were so much little so this is early, you know, in, in the in the 90s and I I was devastated. And I remember one night. Um, so I was sentenced. I was supposed to get 10 years to life, and I actually got six, which were well, ready, you know, that, that but, uh, but, and I know that sounds good, but I was like, I thought I was going to get out. I really thought that's, that's what drugs will do to you. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not in touch with reality.
1: Well, so, and that's um, what sin
0: will do to you, right? That, like you said earlier, the need.
1: justification. Oh, well, I'm it, guilty, exactly. but still I should get out.
0: Exactly. I'm not as bad as. This is only my first time. You know, we have all these ways of justifying our sin. Yes. Well, I was sentenced to 6 years, but I was just devastated because I didn't think I was going to get time and I got sick and I'm like 72 months. Am I going to live even through that being mm. HIV positive? I don't know. I don't know am I going to get healthcare in prison? I don't know. And if I do, is it going to be just awful? Health? I don't know. Right. So I was laying in my bed they had just transferred me to another, uh, another, uh, actually prison holding place, and I was laying in my bed all by myself, no one else in, in the in the cell. And I was lying there, and I look up at the cold metal bunk above me, and there was graffiti, profanity, gang symbols, but some there was something else that was scribbled, and it read, "If you're bored, read Jeremiah twenty-nine 11. Wow. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, to prosper, prosper you, you not to not harm to you, plan, plans to give you a f- hope and a future. Yes. And a lot of us, we know that verse very well, but if you read what follows after that, you read how God is going to call Israel, who's in rebellion, yes, out of exile. And I'm like, wait, I, I'm in rebellion and I'm now in prison, basically in exile, and he's going to call, I mean, if he could call a sinful, rebellious Israel mm-hmm. out of exile and still have a hope for Israel, mm-hmm. he could have a hope for me. Mm. And um, so God that God just gave me enough faith and strength to get through that one day and the next and the next.
1: Wow. Well, and I think when you think about it's those years you spent there. And you think about, it's the same thing. We want it to be better so quickly, but with Israel, I mean, it was a long time that they were in exile.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: And for you, you know, you, it sounds like you're the type of person where it's like, that doesn't sound like good news for me. I'm like, Oh, that means I might get there. You know, (laughs) like there is hope on the other side Yes. And that happened for you. But did this relationship with your parents begin to be mended while you were in prison?
0: Well, it took time. And and it's all because of my my hard heartedness, Mm. because God needed to break me down. He was already breaking. And he's the He's the master at breaking and mending and putting mm-hmm. together, um, because things just need to be broken sometimes, and I needed to be broken. Yeah. Um, so the, what what happened was I began reading the Bible, you know, and I began just devour de- devouring it. I, yeah. with so much time, you know, on my hands, I I, I needed to do something, so I began reading it, and it it began to. Convict me, and I began mm-hmm. reading passages that it was so clear to me that God loved me unconditionally. that was absolutely clear mm-hmm. but then I came across these passages in the Bible that seemed condemned this core part of who I thought I was, my sexuality,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: so I'm like, i don't what's going on here? God loves me, but then this this you know and 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 this is where it comes to this whole part of where I made my identity who I was, you know so mm-hmm. but and yet this this part of me is is sinful, and so I asked a prison chaplain, you know, and I shared it with him because I didn't share with people about my, you know, my same-sex attractions. I didn't tell anyone. I, I didn't know what would happen with people like me. So so I told the chaplain and to my surprise, he told me, oh, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. I'm like, really? Wow, that's great. And he went to his bookshelf, got a book for me. said, here, this book explains that view. And he let me borrow, borrow that book. I'm like, great. So I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand Unfortunately, the Bible and the other. And you know, Amber, from a purely human perspective, I had every single reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. Yeah. But I know now that it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and a clear distortion of His Word. Mm-hmm. So I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification. I wanted to find anything. Right. But I couldn't find any. So I was at this turning point, and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, and this is really important, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate mm-hmm. not only who I was, but also how I lived, mm. or abandon homosexuality, abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship. How? by freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. Wow. And as the days and the months and and weeks of abstinence passed, I realized my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before God loves me unconditionally, that's true. But don't we as sinners like to add to God's truth? I added so, therefore, he doesn't want me to change. You know, similar to people who say, God loves me just who I am. Right. So leave me alone. So I I realized after reading the Bible that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval Mm -hmm. of my behavior. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay. It's not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter right? because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone.
1: Wow.
0: You know, God says, be holy for I am holy. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind in the past, before I had become a Christian, I thought if, I were to become a Christian, that I I needed to become heterosexual. What did that mean? Well, I needed to be sexually attracted to women. So the more attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. Mm, But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to resist temptation and put to death my sin nature. So actually, Heterosexuality, it's the correct direction, but it's too broad. It's too general. It's a secular term. The opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. It's too broad, Mm. but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I struggle, whether I'm tempted, but I need to focus upon living a life of holiness, and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of temptations. God doesn't just say, right. you know, oh, you'll never be tempted again as a Christian. No, we will still be tempted. Jesus was tempted. But the change but change is not the absence of temptations. Change is the spirit wrought ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Ugh. So the ultimate issue is not whether I'm tempted or whether I'm struggling, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete Ooh. obedience.
1: And so, wow, can't that be applied? I mean, it's applied to everything that we make an idol in our life, whether that's yes. sexuality, your career, yep. you idolize being a parent.
0: Yep, money. Um,
1: I mean, there the list goes on and on of the things that we think, oh, God loves me. And that means everything I'm doing, he's going to love me anyways. Well, yes, he will. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to change.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Wow, that's really powerful. Well, yeah. so what was it like when you go to your mom and dad and say, "Okay, I am, I'm with you. I know what you've been talking about, and I am following Jesus." Or is that really what happened?
0: <laughs> yeah, it was very slow, and and that's why God knew that I needed that time in prison mm. to break me down and to uh, make. Me not only open to him, yeah. but really open to honor my parents. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we hear their narrative today that Christian parents cannot love their gay children. We have Hollywood movies. After that, we have everything on YouTube and all of this. And you know, these Christian parents—they have to actually reject Christianity to reject the Bible to love their gay children. But Amber, I had the exact opposite experience. My parents were not Christian. They rejected me. They became followers mm. of Christ and they knew that they could do nothing other than to love me as God loved them while they were sinners. Wow. So my parents, they love me. And what's so amazing is that they were patient. They didn't force the issue. They didn't, and, and they wanted to, they wanted to ask, where are you at? Like, where's your, <laughs> you know, are you a Christian? You know, they wanted to quiz me, you know, they wanted to see whether I think thought that this was sin or not because i would say in the first beginning part the act i mean maybe several months into my time in prison maybe even the first year if they would have brought actually one time they did bring it up and i blew up i was not ready and and i was still thinking like you could have this both cake and eat it too that's mm-hmm. that's our sin nature i mean if we it could is. encapsulate everything into one you know pithy saying it would be our sin wants us to have our cake and eat it too. I wanted to have God and I wanted to have my sin. You know, I didn't call it sin, but I wanted to have, you know, being gay or, you know, whatever this, the whole gay concept. And then when God began to renew my mind to be like, this whole being gay is, is false. This is not sexuality is not who you are. It's how you are. And once I was able to separate my sexuality from who I was, God began to then re- renew and and to reveal who it is that I truly am, that I'm created in His image, and that because of sin, it's distorted my human nature. And to be to be become fully uh, to be able to live fully in His image, I needed to be redeemed by Christ, who is the perfect image of God. Right. Recognizing these things, it took time, and they. It was actually probably when I was uh, doing some time in New York. So I moved around quite a bit, and it was in New York that I was telling them about how I was growing in front of my faith, and and I was asked uh, to actually preach a sermon. You know, to so get this is
1: after you're out, New York, no, first... No, while local- I was
0: still in. Oh, okay. I was in New York in the prison there. Okay, so this is almost a year in, maybe about eight months, not maybe about a year in, and I was asked by one of the inmate kind of ministers, because it, basically the church is just done, done by inmates. And, you know, so no one really gets involved. And so you have then these inmate leaders that will just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to preach or they're kind of like the pastor of the little flock there. Right. And this guy, he just, <laughs> he, he said, I believe you're going to be a pastor one day. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm barely, you know, coming to understand the truths about God. And he's like, you're going to be a pastor. And I just thought this guy has just lost his mind. And then he said, as a matter of fact, I think you need to bring the message this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like okay, what? So Amber, I gave the very typical um, the 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 Christian no. I, I'm sure you know this. Let me pray about it. Oh. Right? That's that's how we as Christians say no, right? <laughs> yes. Let me pray about it. That's that's a polite way of saying no. <laughs> but the problem, Amber, was I did. Oh. I prayed about it, and that was probably my downfall, I guess, if you want to no, say. Oh, because that's it. the yes, that's <laughs> yes, the yielding yeah. to the spirit. So I I prayed, and I couldn't sleep that night. Like I, all of these thoughts of this sermon that I was going to bring up, and and the points that I wanted to make, and I I, I my first sermon was on forgiveness, mm. and because I had seen what I saw in the, in in the prison was all these men that were harboring unforgiveness. Yeah. So that next morning I called home and I was like, mom, can you send me anything on forgiveness like really soon? Or, or can you just tell me? And so they next day aired me some of their notes on and stuff on forgiveness. And so I did this sermon. And anyway, so it was little things like that. They never right. asked, but they saw God working. in me. Mm. And it was then that God also broke me. Like, you know, when, when I was, I was just talking to someone just last week about Romans one, you know, as we know, Romans one, 26 and 27, that's one of the passages where Paul mentions uh, same-sex relationships. And that's actually the only passage that, that mentions female women and women, same-sex relationships. All all the rest are, are uh, it it specifically mentions men Men. and male. So this is the one passage where it actually mentions female, same-sex relationships, but I was telling, I was mentioning how when I read Romans 1, the thing that really stands out for me and stood out for me when I was in prison when I read that for the first time at the end of chapter 1 was dishonoring your parents.
1: Mm.
0: Like that just cut to my heart because it was only my parents that were visiting me. And then I look back and I'm like thinking back of like all the horrible things that I said to my parents, Hmm. all the. They didn't do anything and I would just pounce on them. And it just, that that above anything else in Romans, because people think, oh, when, you know, when Christopher Yuan reads Romans 1, the thing that stands out is the homosexuality. Actually, it wasn't. Mm. The thing that really stood out to me was that dishonoring. Airplane. Wow. Um, well, so,
1: and how long did you, how long were you in prison?
0: Well, I was supposed to get six. And um, so eventually, so when God was totally working on me and, uh, uh God. So, so, you know, the story that I told you about this guy who said, I think I'm good, you know, you're going to be a pastor. And I'm thinking in my head, in my, you know, inside voice, you're crazy. (laughs) You know, you've been praying too hard or whatever, but you're crazy. You're insane. And God did very clearly call me to full-time vocational ministry while I was prison. It was a little bit after that, but it was through leading Bible studies. It was through preaching that I was like, this is what God is made me to do. Wow. So I I, I was called to ministry and I applied to, um, I applied to Moody Bible Institute while in prison. And so my parents sent me the the application and i filled it out and you know in the in the, in the application <laughs> you need to get references right. and it couldn't be from anybody they couldn't be from my parents or my old friends they had to be people who knew me as a christian For so i had to be
1: prisoners
0: <laughs> i know so I, <laughs> I, awesome. I i talked my prison guard a prison chaplain and a and another prison inmate to write my references to movies
1: <laughs> i think that's fantastic right how can they not let you in with that <laughs>
0: Oh, well, they, they had to think twice for sure because they're like, what? you know, they didn't know. And right. I'm so glad that they gave me the opportunity. And I think they even maybe even broke some of their protocols to let me come in because I was released from prison technically in July of 2001. And I started the very next month. It's wow. Quite miraculous. Yeah.
1: Well, and you and your mom so quickly began doing ministry together. Yes. What do yes. you think that was like for her, or is like for her?
0: Oh well, I don't know so much what it's for her, but it's amazing for me. It's mm-hmm. an incredible. It's you know what the locusts have taken away. Um, God has given us back. You know beyond what we can ever ask or so dream amazing. of. And and it's so. And it's not just my mom. So it's my dad, my mom, and I. It's really cool. And and so we have the blessing. So when we speak in churches, which is the bulk of what our ministry does is equip the local church, we speak as a family. And it's so I think incredible! It's, it's really cool. Um, and my my mom and dad are getting older now, so that's eighty and seventy. They're eighty and seventy eight, and still kind of healthy. Wow. And so, and I'm even so I'm I'm counting the years too because i know it's not going to last forever. But it's it's an incredible blessing that I'm able to do that with my parents. And we'll actually share our family testimony. So my dad begins talking about how he came to the United States, and they get married, and so they kind of we we interweave our story, you know, kind of yeah. with. Uh, almost like the book. So with the right. book where it's alternating chapters. So we add with my dad. So it's, our stories are all interwoven. And uh, so my dad will kind of begin my, and then my mom and then my dad and then my mom. And then I, I tell some of my, wow. my story. And so we kind of go back and forth and it's pretty seamless, but it's, I, I always tell tell people, you know, it might be really interesting to hear my story, but my parents' stories are really uh, phenomenal. Well, and, and
1: that's the thing. Out of this, we're not talking about, you know, just one thing of my identity became in Christ and no longer in my sexuality. We're talking about two parents yes. who became believers. They were on the verge mm-hmm. of divorce Yep, and they're together. Yep. I mean, there's so much...
0: There's a lot of aspects of so broken marriage uh, and it's, and, and it's also talking about just the kind of the culture of coming to a new country and, and fighting yeah. for your kids. And, and then also with me with, you know, so it's not just about sexuality, but it's also about, uh, you know, substance abuse and, yeah. um, but in being called a ministry, it's, yeah, it's,
1: it's a lot, but I love it.
0: God has done an amazing work uh, in and through us.
1: Well, I want to change the topic just a little bit. I mean, we've been chatting for a while, and so we'll we'll try to start closing up. But in your second book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, you write about singleness. Yes. And it's a topic that doesn't get addressed that often from this perspective. And so can you explain a little bit about how singleness is best understood in light of God's big story of the grand yeah. story.
0: Yeah. You know, so I introduced this concept, holy sexuality in out of a far country and it was just very, very short. And I knew I needed to kind of flesh that out. Yeah. Um, so Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. Actually it was named 2020 book of the year by That's Outreach so Magazine. That's so awesome. Was it really? That's thought, great. Yeah. And. Um, you know, because, you know, social issues, this is just one of the top things. And so I, I wanted to help people to to have a, a broader understanding of sexuality, not simply by looking at the important passages that tell us, no, don't do this. Right. Because we can't build a Christian life just on God's no. It's important, but we need more. And so that was my goal, to have a robust theology of sexuality, having a broader understanding of what is God's yes. And it's quite simply two paths, either chastity in singleness or faithfulness mm-hmm. in marriage. And my book is about 20 chapters, but at the heart of the book, I was planning to do a chapter on marriage and a chapter on singleness, but those two chapters ended up being enormous. And so my editor suggests I chop those in two. So I actually have two chapters on marriage and two chapters on singleness, and they're yeah. still the biggest chapters, but I think that's really uh, uh, that's really significant and appropriate because at the heart of holy sexuality, chastity and singleness is singleness in marriage. Well, my chapters on marriage, I don't think are your typical chapters on marriage because it was actually correcting our, a, lot of, a lot of the misunderstandings where I think we've, we've taken marriage and treated it higher than it ought to be, almost like an Absolutely. idol so that we've diminished singleness. And my chapters on singleness was to help people to realize – First of all, our Lord Jesus Christ was single. When he was here on earth, he was a single man. At 30 years old, we we don't we we don't it's really see so how, how radical it was for a 30-year-old rabbi to be single. There were none in first century Israel. Yep. They were all and the average age of a man to get married was 18. Wow. Jesus was yeah. 30. <laughs> So uh, we don't talk about how the significance of Jesus being thirty. So that's one by itself. Paul next. Uh, you know, if we're going to look at the New Testament just as a as a literary work. Jesus, most important. Paul, maybe second most important, just from a literary perspective. Paul was single. And of course, we don't know whether he was always single or not. That's that's besides the point. But when he wrote the New Testament, he was a single man. And we actually have from both of their mouths statements that are very positive towards singleness. Mm -hmm. And, And yet, what we see in the church today is this denigration of singleness to the point where if Jesus and Paul were to live today, I would say they would not be able to serve in ninety five percent of our churches today
1: that is, that is crazy that.
0: And I'm not saying because people are really confused because when I'm saying that singleness is a good thing, they think I'm then saying that single that marriage is a bad thing, you know it's like it's, that's a very kind of simplistic or kind of black uh, you know or kind of uh, this false dichotomy. The Bible and Jesus and Paul and all the New Testament writers are saying no. Marriage is good, and singleness in Christ is also good. Right, Both have challenges, but in Christ, it's a good thing. And so it's it's helping people to understand not only that singleness is good, but why is it good. For us to really understand why it's good, we have to actually have have a biblical understanding of family. Mm. This is where Rosario and our our teachings really kind of dovetail because the reason why singleness is not a horrible death sentence, it's because the Bible gives this understanding of family where in the Old Testament, it was all kind of your blood family, your family, clans, tribes. Mm. Then it goes on to the New Testament where it actually takes this understanding of family and, and then, then it, it to
1: the body. makes
0: it into, it redeems it. it. It makes it, I mean, not that it was wrong before, but it, it amplifies it to show that actually the true family is not family between our blood relatives, but the true family is the family of God. Mm. The true family is the body of Christ. So therefore, Paul, who was not married at the time he wrote the New Testament, he was a father.
1: Yeah. Because
0: he had many spiritual children. Mm. And Paul, though he didn't have a family of his own, a blood family, he actually did have the true family, the eternal family, which is the body of Christ. So understanding that then as single individuals, as a single man, though I might not be married and though I might not have children, even though, by the way, I am open to marriage. God just, it's not his will yet for me. I'm open to marrying a woman. But uh, as a single man now, I and not by choice. I have a family. I I have children, people that I have uh, brought to faith into new life, Mm. being born again. That is the real message of the gospel. And so, when you understand family in this way, a biblical theology of family, we are then drawn to and led to a correct understanding of singleness as well.
1: I love that. I just it's just such a good perspective, and you're right. Um, I've seen it happen so often where people feel less than. Because of being single. And that is certainly not what God's word says.
0: Yes, it is. For sure.
1: Well, most of us, um, lastly, most of us know someone, a relative, a friend, someone who identifies as gay. Yeah. So, what are some things that we should do? And what are things that we should not do as we (laughs) seek to love them? Um, I know that's a big question. Yeah, it's certainly prevalent in our world today, and people just don't know.
0: Yeah, I would say you know some things that I suggest you don't do, and it's avoiding some certain terms. Not because we want to, you know, you know, we're afraid of the politically correct police. Yeah, but it's because I want to be able to maintain a relationship with someone who I want them to know about Jesus and put their faith in Mm. him and surrender to the Lord. And not that it's dependent upon me, but that if I'm going to have any hope of living out my God living out my faith and living the gospel before I preach the gospel, I need to have a relationship that's in place and I, and I can't burn that bridge. I'm not going to kind of, you know, try to do everything to avoid the conversations, but at least I, I'm willing to give in in a certain place, you know, a few words, for example. Absolutely. I would avoid uh, saying lifestyle and choice. And that's because I, I never use those words. And again, it, it's it's correct for us as Christians, because it makes sense because it is lifestyle, meaning it's sinful behavior. But if we realize that the mistake that People who identify as gay are making is that they're identifying as gay first. They can't even get to the next step, which is recognizing what they're doing is sinful. Why? Because they view what they do as who they are. Mm -hmm. So when we say that homosexuality is sin, when we say that same-sex relationships are sinful, They don't hear us saying what they're doing is sinful. What they hear is that we're saying that their whole person from head to toe is Mm. reprehensible. Therefore, I think it's more important to have these conversations about identity. Who are you? Like, why is it that then your attractions now become your essence? You
1: are. Okay.
0: Another thing I would avoid is saying love the sinner, hate the sin. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Christians, it makes sense to us. I like that phrase. But don't tell others what that that's what you're doing. Just do it. You know, when I laugh, when I tell people, when you tell people, I love you, but I hate your sin, they really don't feel loved. So just don't say it, just do it. You know, another thing, oh, is avoid it. <laughs> Isn't it true? <laughs> and it I, really I bet, is. <laughs> and I bet, you know, people are listening like, oh my goodness, I just, you know, I'm guilty of that. But that's okay. We can move forward. And, and, and again, it is a very good statement that exemplifies how we engage with Unbelievers, I mean, we're sinners ourselves, but those are that that are in unrepentant sin. But you don't have to tell them that because they first of all do not understand. they don't have a Christian worldview, and so they're not understanding things in the same way we are. Another thing is to avoid getting trapped into debating and arguing because that's what others wanna do. I mean, especially now in our political climate, with everything going on, with all, the, all these different sides, and we mm-hmm. can't even talk anymore. And what they want to do is to peg you into this small little box of a Christian bigot or right wing, yeah. whatever they want to call us. And how they do that is they ask these questions, and then how we answer, then we, they place us into that little box. Yeah. Don't allow that. But you know, but listeners might be thinking, but if they ask me a question, I got to be honest. Yes, I'm not saying be dishonest and say something that's a lie. But if we actually look at the example of Jesus in the Gospels, he did not answer every question. One time he was silent. Several times he answered a question with a question. Other times he actually did answer a question. It just wasn't the question that they asked <laughs> because Jesus is God, first thing. But second, he knew that the question being asked is actually essentially irrelevant to the more important question. Is who mm. is Jesus, the more question, important question about the coming kingdom of God. So I always want to actually deflect, not to kind of get around it, but deflect to the more important conversation, which is Jesus. So for example, if people ask you, do you think this is sin? and you know they're not a believer, like let's say they're you know, a good acquaintance of yours, you can actually say, I know you're not even a Christian. I know you don't even believe in God. So what does it matter to you what God thinks? Mm-hmm. Instead, let's actually talk about the existence of God. Like Bring it back to this more important uh-huh. question of who is God? Does he have a son named Jesus Christ? And are we sinners? Because if we get there, that is what's going to lead to salvation, not mm-hmm. morality. If I even convince someone that this is sinful, they're still lost if they don't know Christ. Uh. So that's what you didn't do. But the simple things that you should do, I mean, we need to listen, people. People mm-hmm. sometimes are so afraid of listening to stories. You know, it's... Listening is not the same thing as agreeing or condoning. I can listen to someone's story about someone who's a drug dealer or a prostitute or whatever, but I'm listening to their story. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that I'm agreeing with their behavior. So we don't need need to be afraid. And we don't even have to at that time say, well, you know what I think. I think you can maybe say that later. But at that moment, listen. I think sometimes someone said... There's such little difference between listening and loving that oftentimes people can't tell the difference. Mm. So simply listening can show that you do care. Another thing that's important is to just share about what God has done in your life. Yes. You you open up that Bible and they're going to start running. But what made the difference was I saw the gospel lived out in my parents' lives. They lived (sighs) the gospel before they preached the gospel. I did not leave pursuing same-sex relationships because my mom and dad convinced me that (laughs) they were sinful. No, I left it because they showed me something better. Wow. His name is Jesus. Yeah. Following Jesus should be, we should show the dying world that following Jesus, there's nothing better in the world. And so our goal in our life, as we engage with those who don't know Christ, as we engage with our LGBT uh, loved ones who identify as that, is simply First and foremost is to live out the gospel in a way that shows that following Jesus, there's nothing better. Wow.
1: Oh, Christopher, what a joy. This conversation really has been for me. Um, Just a lot to think about and a lot of practical things that I can apply in my own life. And so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. For anybody who may Want to just connect with you, um, connect with what your b- books are, where mm-hmm. can they best find you?
0: Yeah, my website is just my full name, Christopher Yuan, that's Y U A N as in November.com, Christopher Yuan.com. I'm also on Facebook. It's uh, my ministry page, is facebook.com Christopher Yuan. Twitter, Christopher Yuan, also Instagram as well, uh, Christopher Yuan, but also my books are available on Amazon, um, Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope, and then my newest book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story.
1: Mm. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me on, Amber. God bless you.
1: Wasn't that incredible? I mean, the way that God worked in the heart of his mother and her faithfulness to pray and pray and fast for his salvation. Wow, God has used Christopher in a mighty way and his mother and father to impact his kingdom here on earth. And so if you didn't send this episode to someone earlier, Maybe someone comes to mind now. Will you just go ahead and hop over to your text messaging, your email, maybe your social media account, and share this episode so that other people can see how God has worked in the hearts of Christopher and his parents. Thank you, each one of you, for tuning in week in and week out.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know. A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?